electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott. I am Dominic Chu here today. Here's what's ahead. A shiny new coin. We are awaiting, of course, Coinbase's first trade with the indication of more than $200 above its reference price at this point. We've got your opening trade and analysis coming up. Plus, with stocks at all-time highs, we've got names that Wall Street thinks are still good values in everything from energy to healthcare to solar. And why the SEC could be headed in a crypto-friendly direction. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now because we are at record highs yet again. So if you take a look at the overall picture right now, green on the screen very much so for the Dow Industrials up about 200 points, half a percent gains there. The S&P 500, 41.46 the last trade there, up about one-tenth of one percent. These both get those gold stars because they both hit record highs in trading today. The Nasdaq composite lagging here, just about two-tenths of one percent to the downside. Of course, we're watching what's happening with the cryptocurrency markets because of the Coinbase IPO. Bitcoin prices hit a record high today. We're not far from that level right now, 63485 the last trade there, according to Coinmetrics over the last year. Yes, that 800 percent gain, a lot of that's driving some of the sensitivity around those prices that Bitcoin could be trading at it, of course, what that leads to with Coinbase's valuation. And if you recall, some viewers who have been with us since the early morning hours in Squawk Box, we showed these stocks earlier in the pre-market trade, Tesla, MicroStrategy, Square, and Riot Blockchain. We showed them because they were all positive, some traders attributing that to this proxy effect. These companies all own blockchain, or rather Bitcoin on their balance sheets. At one point, they were proxies. You could take a view on Bitcoin by owning some of these companies. Well, now these stocks are all lower on the day. You can see here, especially Riot Blockchain and MicroStrategy. Why? Because there's an effect that some traders are noting. Now you can actually see a more direct derivative way to play Bitcoin prices rather than these companies because you can just do it through Coinbase. So perhaps some of the money coming out of these stocks moving in to a Coinbase type situation will continue to watch and see if that trade plays out as well. Well, let's get straight to the big story of the day. Coinbase, of course, set to make its debut on the Nasdaq. The company will become the first major crypto business to go public in America. The opening trade could happen at any moment at this point here. Leslie Picker joins me now with the latest there. Leslie, we've watched that indication price creep higher and higher and higher. Now we're at $380 or thereabouts, which means close to a $100 billion valuation with certain assumptions in place. Take us through the play-by-play so far and what you're seeing. It means it's close to a $100 billion valuation. It also means it surpassed the highest trade that this company had during the first quarter of the year, where it reached uh, about $375 per share. So remarkable for a few reasons. Number one, everyone is kind of seeing this as a watershed moment for the crypto industry. Of course, a $100 billion company debuting on the Nasdaq today, allowing basically anyone who wants to can invest in this company now uh, and get indirect exposure to crypto. Of course, 
Coinbase is a company. They serve as an exchange. They allow people to buy and sell and store crypto. Uh, So you can kind of compare it to almost like a New York Stock Exchange or a NASDAQ with the type of business model they have. Now, with regard to transaction fees, that's how they make 96% of their revenue. Uh, It's actually more lucrative than what you see with some of those more traditional exchanges, which is why uh, some people are giving this company more of a premium uh, on a multiple basis. That said, Dom, at a $100 billion valuation, when you take the market cap, of ICE, which is the parent company of NYSE, and combine it with the NASDAQ, you don't get $100 billion. So clearly there is a lot of excitement around this company uh, and what it does operating in the crypto space. Now, on the flip side, it is expected to be inextricably linked to uh, cryptocurrency, particularly Bitcoin. So the number one risk factor in the prospectus is you can expect some significant volatility with this company when it's off to the races. Uh, we will be chatting about this even more next hour. Uh, we'll be interviewing Nelson Griggs, who is the president of the NASDAQ, where Coinbase is listed. Dumb. Leslie, I, I, it's interesting that you bring up some of the comparisons with regard to this type of company, which is obviously a very... Um, pioneering type one, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The first public crypto exchange here in America. Carl Quintanilla tweeted out earlier this past hour that Goldman Sachs itself has a valuation, a market value right now of $117 billion. (laughs) So you're talking about a company that's been around since 2012 that that works in cryptocurrency that's now going to rival one of the most venerable investment banks in world history at this point. Is there any way that, that investors may be looking at this saying it's indicative of more bubblish type behavior. You cover SPACs, you cover private equity deals. What's your sense there? Yeah, so I've been talking with investors just to get a sense of where their head is with this thing. It, it was a direct listing. So unlike a traditional IPO process, there was no marketing of the shares to institutional investors. There was no allocation to institutional investors. There was no price range by which to sell shares uh, and then a, an IPO price at that range. So the normal kind of fundamental analysis that goes on with a traditional IPO uh, wasn't taking place on a roadshow per se. That said, uh, trying to get a sense from institutional investors how they they see this this uh, this stock now. Uh, once it begins trading, a lot of them were a bit more comfortable at lower levels. That said, uh, there is significant interest. The challenge, I think, for institutional investors, at least at this point in time, uh, is this idea of being able to really model this company, do some fundamental analysis, uh, project future cash flows for a company that's um, revenue is so tied to what's going on in the crypto market and the volatility therein. It's just really, really difficult to be able to do that. For example, uh, one of the analysts at Moffitt Nathanson had uh, a research report where they were projecting, uh, you know, tripling of revenue this year and the next year revenue going down to 37 percent. So it, it really depends on your time horizon here. It really depends on where you foresee the cryptocurrency, the underlying asset going in the future. All right. I tweeted out earlier, Leslie, fundamental analysis meets HODL, HODL meets fundamental analysis. <laughs> you can kind of figure it out from there. Leslie, I know that you'll be with us all hours, so stick around, please, tracking all of that Coinbase trading. Now, this direct listing is a watershed moment, as Leslie pointed out, for cryptocurrency. Coinbase is nearly at that $100 billion valuation mark, more than triple that of the NASDAQ itself. For more now, let's bring in Bobby Cho, partner at CMS Holdings. Also, Emily Parker, the co-host of First Mover on Coindesk TV. Bobby, Emily, thank you both for joining us here. I I mean, Emily, let's talk a little bit about the macro environment that we're in right now. How did we get to a point where we are seeing $64,000 per token for Bitcoin? And then how is that translating into the investor enthusiasm 
for, for, an, for an offering like Coinbase? Thanks so much for having me. Yes, they're definitely directly related. There are a lot of factors driving up the price of Bitcoin, but I think the, one of the main ones is institutional investment and institutional involvement. And ironically, even though Bitcoin started out as this rebellious currency that was supposed to be divorced from banks and governments and big institutions, a lot of what's driving Bitcoin up are these brand names. For example, PayPal letting people buy Bitcoin or Tesla allowing people to pay with Bitcoin. And then you have a lot of these other big brand names getting into the, the acts like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, uh, BNY Mellon. So I think that's a really big part of the story that people are starting to see crypto as a more mainstream investment that is backed by big institutions. All right. So, Bobby, it was hard enough for anybody out there, even crypto experts we speak to, to tell us exactly how they can model out a value or a fundamental fair value for Bitcoin prices. If you take a look at the price action that we're seeing right now in Coinbase, indicated at the open with a nearly $100 billion valuation, would you be a buyer even at those levels? I'm a buyer. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, I think for us at CMS, we look at it as, as a growth story. Obviously, Coinbase has been around since 2012. They've been growing thoroughly through that. And even, even into the progression of going into the public markets, I mean, there is a, a core growth story that is tied to Coinbase. Um, part of that is sort of a thematic theme that we sort of play off at CMS, which is basically that there was um, a, a big idea that traditional firms were going to come in and disrupt the crypto markets. But now firms like Coinbase, which are paving the way for other firms, are now looking for ways to disrupt traditional markets and traditional banking. And I think a core piece of that is Coinbase's customer base of 56 million people. I mean, that's more than some banks out there and certainly more than some um, apps as well. So, so, Bobby, if I could follow up there, you know, earlier today, I remember because it was in our 5 a.m. hour during Worldwide Exchange. We had interviewed Santosh Rao, who's at Manhattan Venture Partners. They are an early investor at the venture stage for Coinbase. We asked him what he thought the fair market value of Coinbase should be. And as an investor in the company, he told us this morning he thought $98 billion. That was the value he saw there. Why should you pay more than that if the investors who are already there are saying that it's worth about $100 billion at this point? I think it really depends on your time horizon when you when you apply some of these investments. I mean, the way that I sort of look at it is is simply put in terms of comps and, and different aspects of that. And, and one of those could be a company like PayPal, which is arguably three and a half times bigger than Coinbase right now. I mean, it, it's not a question of why PayPal started to integrate more crypto products into their user base and product base, mainly because I think they see this idea that Coinbase could grow even bigger and start to eat into if they haven't already eaten into sort of their products and the revenues. Emily, there's a you brought up the idea of this anti-institutional effect that was a driver behind much of the interest before. It was maybe a number of years back when we used to mention Bitcoin in the same sentence or phrase as arms dealers or drug dealers. I mean, television shows were writing into their scripts at that point about people taking it as, as payment for illicit goods and services. We've come a long way. This is now the institutionalization of the crypto world. What exactly does that mean then for the future trajectory of cryptocurrency and perhaps Coinbase in general? Well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, I think most people right now in the crypto industry are pretty excited about this because crypto, as you said, has been kind of an underdog for a long time. And, and you know, we've all had to explain to our families that, you know, we're not in the money laundering business and that this is a legit thing. So now you have the SEC basically giving uh 
Coinbase the green light to, to list on NASDAQ. This is a huge deal. But at the same time, there are also crypto purists who I think, you know, may resist this idea of crypto becoming more institutionalized. And you will likely see more adoption of more decentralized finance, DeFi, decentralized exchanges that some would argue hold on more to the original ethos of crypto, which is, you know, to, to get rid of the middleman and to to do transactions more directly on a blockchain. You know, it's funny, Emily, that the conversation used to be that Bitcoin was the underdog. I mean, Dogecoin is probably the underdog these days, and Bitcoin is probably the 800-pound gorilla. Bobby, I'll turn to you here. We've talked so much about this idea that Bitcoin is the driver behind a lot of this enthusiasm right now. Is there room for other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, Ether, like, you know, uh, Litecoin, like Ripple, perhaps in some worlds, like all these other altcoins that are out there. Is there a way that all of that ecosystem really feeds into the broader success story, possibly for a company like Coinbase? Yeah, I think I think if you look at it more as like an asset class versus some individualized token out there, look, Bitcoin was the first. And, and it generated a number of ideas out there, like Ethereum, like some of these other tokens out there. Look, a lot of these tokens at this point are looking for a home uh, in terms of a use case, uh, much like some of the startups that are in the space. I mean, Coinbase went through the same sort of discovery process when they launched in 2012. They were looking for product market fit, and obviously they achieved that. Um, so I think there definitely is room. Obviously, I, I still think we're scratching the surface in terms of sort of where crypto goes from here. Um, I think you are seeing a number of tokens that are trying to tackle certain use cases in real estate and other types of products like that. And uh, it's TBD to see kind of where that goes. You know, Emily, in a former life, you were part of the institution itself. You worked at the State Department for the U.S. government a while, a while back. And now you're you're kind of like you're 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 very much neck deep in this crypto market here. How, how big of a threat is the the institutionalization in terms of the overall government side of things, the regulatory aspect, the the crackdown that some governments have already made or may make in the future with regard to some of these types of products. With Coinbase itself, one of the big theses about this is that they are legitimizing it. They're asking for identification. You have they're, they're issuing 1099 forms for, for your IRS tax returns. How, how big of a deal will government regulation be down the line? Government regulation will absolutely be a big deal. And I think even amidst all the bullishness, that is probably the biggest thing to watch out for, how governments all over the world will handle the rise of crypto. And I'm not actually not that worried about the United States. I think the the countries to look at are, for example, India, which has definitely hinted at banning crypto in the past. You know, China has, has, has definitely cracked down on crypto, although people are still trading crypto there. So, you know, these, uh, there, no country can crack down on crypto entirely. It's pretty impossible to shut it down. That's kind of the magic of Bitcoin is that it's decentralized and immune to total government control. However, governments can make it much more difficult for the average person to access the crypto market. So I think that's really one of the main things to watch out for in the next in the next months. All right. So, Bobby, as you look at Coinbase, this could be just the beginning. This is the first major crypto related public offering in America. What do you see as as the next iteration or what's going to come next in terms of the company that goes public in this particular arena? Is it something with regard to digital wallets? Is it something with regard to other exchanges? What do you think is the next step here? 
Yeah, that, that's a good point, Dom. And, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll reference back to, I, I guess, a few nights ago on Shepard Smith's show, um, Kathy Wood was on there from, from ARK Invest. And I've known Kathy since, since the beginning of sort of her foray into, into sort of the Bitcoin markets and getting into it. And, and digital wallets is something that she brought on that is going to be a big theme. And if you look at a, uh, um, a company like Coinbase, I mean, they would be the native home to start this digital wallet movement. I mean, they already have it with crypto. But when you start thinking and talking about some of the newer products that are out there, which, you know, what would you guys talk about almost daily now, such as NFTs or other types of digital forms of, um, of, of, of just products out there? I mean, Coinbase would be the natural place where that would start, in my opinion, mainly because they own the full stack of trading, exchanging, custody, clearing, and all of those types of services. And so um, I think kind of next in line, much like what Coinbase did, was paved the way for a lot of crypto companies on how they should be operating the space. So I think it'll be, it'll be really fun to watch. I mean, this is just the scratch the surface part of the conversation, you two. Thank you guys very much for being here. Bobby Cho, also Emily, we'll see you later on when those shares start trading in. Please stick around. Coming up on the show with stocks at all-time highs, are there still cheap names out there that investors can buy? Wall Street analysts say yes, we've got those names, a few of them coming up next. Plus, why we could be on the verge of a more crypto-friendly Washington, D.C. We touched that conversation just this last hour. And we're still waiting for Coinbase's first trade. The indication right now, just for your information, is $381.56 on the NASDAQ. We are back on the exchange after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Well, investors are awaiting Coinbase's first trade on the NASDAQ. Last night's reference price was $250 per pop. The latest indication is now up to around $381 for each of those shares sold. And we have full team coverage. Kate Rooney is wrapping up what this milestone means for the cryptocurrency industry. And Bob Pisani is digging into the regulatory risks for the company and for the crypto world. Kate Rooney, we will start with you. Hey, Don, there is so much excitement around this. It's about the biggest milestone you could imagine for crypto. The largest U.S. exchange is about to be a publicly traded company after years of skepticism from Wall Street about Bitcoin. Coinbase really helped take the world's first cryptocurrency from an Internet hobby for coders to a mainstream investment today. The company was founded back in 2012, about four years after Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin, published that first white paper. One of Coinbase's early peers, Mt. Gox, was hacked in 2013. Then it shut down. Silk Road, if you remember that name. That dark web marketplace first gave Bitcoin a reputation as a currency for criminals. Bitcoin believers later lived through that ICO boom in 2017, the cryptocurrency. 
Around that time, got close to $20,000. Then who can forget crypto winter? Bitcoin crashed about 80% the following year. It's back up right near 64,000 today ahead of this listing. Coinbase really solved the big issue for Bitcoin, buying and selling it. So until this company, there really was not a way for mainstream investors to get exposure. This company is seen as the reason Bitcoin has now become a household name. Its valuation, though, would imply that this is much more than a brokerage firm, despite Coinbase making the majority of its revenue on trading fees. Those growth expectations really bake in that this is going to continue to grow along with the crypto economy. Analysts do expect a lot of volatility in the meantime. As one analyst put it, the value of Coinbase, which is now looking like $100 billion, suggests that there is plenty of opportunity left in cryptocurrency. He says the IPO is really the end of the beginning for crypto and the start of the next phase of adoption. So that next phase, Dom, that is what they call decentralized finance or DeFi. Bitcoin bulls talk about this as sort of a Netscape moment and marking the future of the digital economy. But of course, there are plenty of questions and a lot of headwinds. The big one, Bitcoin prices. The company has said that its revenue is pretty much correlated to crypto and to trading volume. Regulation is another big one. And there's also competition that analysts worry about. Don, back to you. Kate, I mean, you mentioned Bitcoin so many times during that conversation that we're having right now. How much are you hearing from the folks that you chat with, the investors you talk to, the crypto industry folks, about how important the other parts of the digital asset space could become? I'm thinking like Ethereum. I mean, that's at record highs as well. That thing is just climbing and climbing. There's also many other digital tokens out there, whether or not you have a digital wallet from Coinbase or somebody else. How, how big of a deal is, these, is, is the other part of the, of the crypto atmosphere right now? So the key part is that they talk about it. So Bitcoin and Ethereum really are the only game in town for Coinbase and the other exchanges. The talk of decentralized finance and what could be things like stocks being tokenized and the whole economy essentially moving to blockchain, that is the ideal scenario for these guys. So there's so much excitement around what could be. A lot of these things are very early stage. But another interesting point, we're going to see a lot of new Bitcoin millionaires, potentially billionaires today. They'll probably take some of that money and some of that windfall invested into early stage companies. Where do you think they're going? Crypto companies, blockchain companies. So that is seen as a big boost for this early stage economy. And we might see the results of that, you know, three, four years down the road. Kate, we know that um, the market valuation of this particular offering that we're going to anticipate right now is obviously the, one of the biggest we've seen so far in, in, in a long time. But can you compare some of the, the investor hype or enthusiasm, the buzz, if you will, around this particular offering, say, against Robinhood or some of the other big unicorns and fintech that we've seen out there? J- just how big of a deal it is, comparatively speaking, with, with some of the other big names that we know in fintech? So the big thing they have in common is the excitement from the retail investor, which you can see a lot of parallels with the retail investor and the early crypto investors that were buying things like ICOs and putting their money into Bitcoin. So those are sort of the same cohort of younger, newer investors. They're excited about Coinbase. They're excited about names like Robinhood and even sort of the Kathy Woodstocks. They're betting big on payments and sort of the next phase of the economy. And they're taking big bets. And if they like we mentioned, you know, they'll have to believe that this crypto economy is going somewhere. There are a lot of people that are taking very bullish long-term stances. So in that sense, you could sort of group these companies together and Robinhood likely will see some of the same enthusiasm. All right. 
Kate Rooney, stick with us because we've got a lot more to talk about here. Let's, let's bring back in Bobby Cho, partner at CMS Holdings, also Emily Parker, co-host of First Mover on Coindesk TV. Uh, you know, Bobby, we bring up a lot of those points that we spoke about earlier. Kate's talking a little bit more about the investor excitement around these names. Is there a point at which you, as an investor in a company like this, would say, you know what, I've made a good amount of money, now's the time for me to maybe pair some of those bets out there? I know that it's too early to talk about that now for people who aren't in it yet, but for those early stage people who've been there, like Kate said, for years now at this point, this is a lot of money that's been made on paper right now, and they can realize it with a big liquidity event. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, look, it's a ton of money that's being created, a ton of wealth that's being created, but... Look, if you believed in the vision of what Coinbase uh, set forth, what Brian and Fred had done in 2012, if you were believers back then, you're you're more of a believer today. So, you know, you may see investors take some money off the table, which is completely responsible. But at the same point, I don't even think that they've reached the point at which Bobby, 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 let me just stop you right there. It has just opened up for trading the opening print, three hundred and eighty one dollars. That figure that's up roughly 50 some percent. It's currently you can see on our screens right now trading at just about three eighty six and change at this point here. So. Let's just ballpark it because the numbers are huge. It's roughly 55% upside right now from the reference price of $250 per share. And it's now hit $390 per share. That's up $56 from that trade there. So remember, $385 or thereabouts was the general estimate, uh, back of the envelope, if you will, for a $100 billion valuation for this on a fully diluted basis. It just means counting all the shares that could be out there issued for everything else. Let's bring in our own Leslie Picker right now, who's watched that opening trade happen. I'm seeing 394 figure right now. Leslie, this is just going higher and higher. Yeah, Dom, at, at 381, it's 99.553 on a fully diluted basis for market cap. So you're right. The market really does that nice, does like that nice round, even $100 billion valuation for this company. Uh, important to note, that reference price that we're looking at, up 57% from there, no money was really exchanged at that reference price, as you would see in an IPO. So the number we want to track today is 381 and what the upside is from there. So we're looking at upwards of $15 a share based on the current trading. That's what we will monitor until close today is how it has changed from that opening level because this is a direct listing versus a traditional IPO. Now, it's also worth noting where 381 is relative to where the stock was trading in the secondary market. So here in the S1, during the first quarter, the highest these shares traded in the private markets was 375.01. So significant upside from the private markets, significant upside so far from where this stock opened, uh, and it continues to climb, uh, at least in this first, these first few minutes of trading, Dom. It's, it's honestly a remarkable sight to see. Largest direct listing ever, largest company that is you know, exposed to the crypto space to go public uh, and a a remarkable first day of trading for Coinbase here. All right, Leslie, I'm going to stop you right there because those people who are watching it on our screens right now just saw it hit $400, that big figure in terms of per share. For listeners out there, again, we're showing the intraday charts and you can kind of expect to see what we're seeing right now. It's basically a very volatile trade, but it's holding right up around $399 to $400 per share right now, again, against that reference price of $250 a share that was put out there last night. Let's now bring in Bob Pisani, who's been tracking this action as well. Bob, maybe no surprise that this was going to be a hot issue to begin with, 
But were there any kind of real expectations among the traders that you speak with on a normal basis about just how high Coinbase could go? I, I think what's amazing is trying to figure out the valuation. Even a week before, I was seeing estimates of a $50 billion valuation, $100 billion. I saw $150 billion valuations. When, when you're dealing with magnitudes of order off on the estimates, you have traders really unsure uh, of what's going on. This is a new technology. It is essentially an exchange. I was around when the NASDAQ went public in 2000. I covered that. And I remember the feeling that, oh, here is a company that's been around for a while since 1971. But the NASDAQ represented a, a, a really new way of trading, a public exchange that was out there. And it was kind of revolutionary uh, at the time. Uh, this is the same way for Coinbase. Uh, at $100 billion, I think people ought to realize where we're at here. There's only about 84, 85 companies with $100 billion value. Valuation targets a hundred billion dollar valuation, for example. Uh, Micron's a hundred billion. Goldman Sachs is a hundred and thirteen billion. General Electric is a hundred and eighteen billion dollars. So essentially, we're dealing with a very, very rarefied atmosphere here. BlackRock, hugely the biggest financial services company in the world, uh, is a hundred and twenty billion dollars. And Dom, can I just point out, Gary Gensler was just appointed the head of the SEC one hour ago, and there's the crypto enthusiasts are very excited about Gensler. He has taught blockchain at MIT. He is aware of the issues. People think more awareness is a good thing. And of course, he's going to be the guy who's going to be ruling on a Bitcoin ETF down the road. He's going to be in charge of new regulations for Bitcoin securities. Remember, Bitcoin's a commodity. It's controlled by the CFTC. It's regulated by them. But Bitcoin securities, like a Bitcoin ETF or uh, ICOs, coins, they're regulated by the SEC. And Gensler's going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out a new regulatory scheme for these crypto assets. Emily, let's turn to you here because we had we had kind of broached the topic of the regulatory environment. Bob Bassani just brought up the alphabet soup that's going to be interested in what happens with cryptocurrency trading, whether it be in kind of securitized or institutional format. How important is it for a company like Coinbase, perhaps, but 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 in general, the entire industry that there is a more, I guess, easy way, if you will, for many investors to get in on this, which could include things like exchange traded funds or 40 Act investment type companies that buy these on behalf of mutually held clients? It's hugely important for the crypto industry. And that's why this, this listing is so important, because Coinbase in many ways is seen as a gateway to the mainstream world. Coinbase is relatively easy to use. It's trusted. So it's for new investors who want to get into the crypto market. But by that same, by that same token, so to speak, um, that could actually be a risk to Coinbase over the long term because Coinbase is going to start seeing more competition from banks. You know, if there is an ETF, will that pose a risk to Coinbase? Or, you know, if a bank allows you to start buying crypto out of your checking account, will that, will people still use Coinbase? So interestingly, as crypto gets more and more mainstream, it will, Coinbase will have to maintain that first mover advantage. Well, Bobby, I mean, spread compression is inevitable because when you put profits out there for the taking, competitors will eventually eke their way into eat part of your pie, right? I mean, that's the whole way that it goes. We know that if, you know, the institutionalization of cryptocurrency adds legitimacy to this market, spreads will compress because institutional players will offer their ETFs to give mainstream investors access to this. They will pay, by the way, those lower fees 
that Coinbase and other exchanges operate with rather than the big hefty ones that are perhaps even 10 times the size of the institutional spreads that, that, that investors pay. Is that in any way kind of a, a discouraging factor for investing in a company like Coinbase right now, knowing that it only gets worse from a margin perspective from here on out? I think I think a few of those viewpoints are, are, are just a little short sighted, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I think I think they're missing the, the much bigger picture here. There's 56 million customers on Coinbase and growing. This is not a story, in, in my opinion, about where crypto takes Coinbase or where Coinbase takes crypto. This is the idea of how Coinbase is going to be able to start to cross sell different products that you may have gotten from other financial services companies, which obviously have had a monster quarter this past year. Um, or this past quarter, I'm sorry. And so there's this opportunity for Coinbase to access all different types of traditional products. Look, two years ago, uh, I believe they bought Keystone broker-dealer. So that's in the works. And there are other ways that they haven't even tapped into in terms of monetizing how current exchanges, as you had mentioned, NYSE, NASDAQ, those types of players are currently making money, such as market data. Uh, At at this point, market data is free, but at some point, they're going to start to latch onto some of those revenue streams. And I, I just look at all of that as a growth opportunity here of just within the crypto space. But again, the bigger picture for me is this overall ecosystem that they're trying to build with this, what I consider probably their best asset, which is their customer base. So Kate Kate Rooney, if you look at that customer base right now, this is a situation where, yes, they are growing it, but at some point here, they are going to face that competition. How exactly then does that competitive landscape start to evolve, at least in, say, the next six to 12 months? Does this give at least some kind of a a push for some of the companies out there to expand their marketing efforts, their client acquisition efforts, because they've seen what Coinbase can do and has done now that it's a publicly traded company. We have seen this slowly play out after people saw what happened with Coinbase in the first quarter. A lot of companies, I think, probably realize that is an extremely profitable business. We also got some numbers from Robinhood. They now have about 9.5 million people trading crypto They're adding about 3 million people per month, which is huge compared to what they were seeing last year. There are people kind of quietly nipping at the heels of Coinbase. The uh, backers of Coinbase, any Bitcoin bull would tell you they've got a first mover advantage. They have things like security that people go to for that to that company for those reasons. And that there are startups that are trying to do the same thing. They might not be able to. The first thing is people are doing this through partnerships. So they're not building what Coinbase has built from scratch. So there's that. You have people like Robinhood or PayPal partnering with Paxos. But the big risk here, like you mentioned, fee compression, the idea that somebody could come in, potentially subsidize this, offer trading for free and get more customers kind of eat into Coinbase's margins. We might see the same thing play out that we saw with the brokerage firms a couple of years ago. That's a huge risk, especially when Coinbase is making more than 90% of its revenue on trading fees alone. But I think they, the onus is on them to diversify, sure. move into more institutional trading, and play up some of those other sides of the business. It's a new frontier for sure. We want to thank, first of all, our panel here, Bobby Cho, Emily Parker, our own Leslie Picker, our own Kate Rooney, our own Bob Bassani. We'll be talking with you, I'm sure, for the rest of the afternoon, the rest of the day here and beyond on this big Big moment here for the crypto world. Thank you very much, guys. Well, coming up on the show, as the markets hit all-time highs, we'll look at some of the names that Wall Street still thinks are undervalued. And, of course, we'll keep an eye on Coinbase for you as the stock soars in its debut. You can see right there that spike higher, roughly 64% higher today, $409 per share. The last trade there, the exchange will be right back.
Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. We have a quick news alert here for you on Walmart. The company is announcing a plan to move more of its part-time associates to full-time with the goal of having two-thirds of its associates full-time by the end of the year. The company says that uh, they've been on this journey since before the pandemic and in 2016, for reference, about 53% of the hourly store workforce held full-time positions. And so by the end of the year, if they hit the goal, that means that approximately 100,000 more full-time positions uh, will be available than were five years ago. Shares of Walmart are a little changed down here just slightly. And Dom, both part-time and full-time associates are eligible for health benefits. Uh, you just have to work about 30 hours on average a week. Back over to you. Courtney, if you don't mind, could I follow up here? How much of this has been kind of like this evolution philosophically that many companies have had about trying to raise or, or elevate the standards of living wages and whatnot for many of their workers? This is just the next iteration of that kind of an effort between, say, them and Target and everybody else out there who's been raising their wages as well. Yeah, it's got to be dumb. I mean, for years we have heard about Walmart workers that have been unhappy that they haven't had either consistent hours and or enough hours, making it harder to plan their outside lives. And so for years, Walmart has been adding a number of other benefits, things like education, health care, uh, expanding parental opportunities for time off. They did a lot during COVID, of course, during the height of COVID. But now this is finally a move um, sort of that have been that, that the employees have been asking for for a while. And the company actually has 80 percent of its workforce full time that work in the distribution centers, um, in the fulfillment center. So they sort of do have a model for this and they're moving more that way for the store employees, which has been a request for some time. All right. More on the employment picture in America. Courtney Reagan, thank you very much for, that, for the update on the Walmart there. Well, it's been a stellar year so far for the markets overall with the S&P and Dow at record highs. And after a rough few weeks, the Nasdaq just is 1% away from its own record. So if you are looking to put money to work and there are any values left out there with much, the, much of the market at record highs, can you actually find them? Well, based on Wall Street estimates, the answer could be yes. So here's a group of stocks that are currently trading about 20% or more below their average analyst target prices across a number of different sectors. We will start with the oil and gas patch. Devon Energy, that stock is up about 42% this year, trading just shy of 23 bucks a share. But the average analyst target price here is roughly 32% higher at over 30 bucks a share. Or how about the healthcare sector? Over-the-counter drug maker Perigo, that stock is trading right around 41 bucks. The average analyst target price is 26% above that level. By the way, that stock is down 9% so far this year in an up market. Next up, analysts are far more bullish on Enphase Energy than investors seem to be. The average target price on this solar energy company is 43% higher than its current price of just around 154 bucks a piece. And then a name we usually don't talk about these days, Viatris, ticker VTRS. The company was formed, remember, after a combination between generic drug giant Mylan and Pfizer's Upjohn drug unit. That stock is down 16% so far this year, but analysts remain bullish 
their target price is around 43% above where it's trading today. So are there any possible values out there? Let's get some expert picks with the stock market at record highs. Joining me now are Kim Forrest, Chief Investment Officer at Boca Capital Partners. Also, Michael Cagino, President and Portfolio Manager of the Permanent Portfolio Family of Funds. Thank you both for being here. Kim, we'll turn to you first. Are there names that you like in this kind of environment that you don't think are overvalued? There always are names that are um, misunderstood and thus mispriced. So that's my basic philosophy of how to run money. And the way to do it, though, is to have a longer timeline and then have themes that you play into. So there's two themes that I like. One is um, pretty much in the news right now, and that is semiconductors are undersupplied, and it looks like that's going to be for a long time. But then there's also the um, low interest rate environment is driving housing, and the millennials are moving into that family formation part, and they're driving housing. So those are two areas that I look for bargains right now. And, and we're just showing some of your picks right there. You say Fidelity National and Intel are two of your top picks. Just take us through what you think are the fundamental cases for each of those. Sure. So for Fidelity National, that is a title insurance company. And anybody that's um, bought a home or remortgaged a home has had to pay title insurance. And what that does is it allows the mortgager to understand who really owns the house. And hopefully it's the bank, right? Not like some weird financial thing that went on in the past. So they rarely pay out any claims, but they collect a lot of money. And that's one pick that we like. And of course, there's Intel. And yes, they've had stumbles recently, but it looks like the new CEO is going to be able to turn that company around more than, uh, than Wall Street currently expects. And even in this week's news, it's going to uh, try to help the automakers correct their imbalance of chips. And I think that shows some thinking out of the box, which is desperately needed at that company. All right, Michael Cugino, you, you've run top-rated funds for years now. Your job is to go out there and hunt for value. So are there values that you are finding? And if so, what kinds of companies are you looking at? Yeah, there are, Dom. And my philosophy is very similar to Kim in terms of there's always opportunities. And so even in this market, which is not cheap by any means, there are a lot of names in a lot of different industries that are trading at below market multiples. Um, some of the names that, that I would think of are Freeport McMoran on the uh, commodity side of things. We're looking for stocks that are going to play the reflation trade, obviously, that are liquid, that have dividends and likely increasing dividends and maybe recession proof or uh, inflation proof or a situation where market interest rates decouple from the Fed's desires and, and be immune or at least neutral to those situations. Freeport hits on all levels. The supply demand on the reflation trade, um, you know, the, the likely scenario of a, a weakening dollar with global growth and inflation, uh, these types of stocks hold well against inflation. Another name would be the um, Lockheed Martin. They're obviously, a uh, big portfolio in aerodis- you know, aerospace, whether it's defense, whether it's commercial airlines, whether it's space. Um, and we see that the, the global macro environment out there right now, with respect to reflation trade on the commercial side, with the dangerous world we live in on the, uh, on the defense side, and the, the space race, which is something that I think is increasing in value and, and attention. Um, and Lockheed's right in a sweet spot there. The third one would be Morgan Stanley. Um, obviously, in all these names, very well known. Um, but, you know, the financial companies hit 
Great numbers today. We're expecting big numbers for Morgan when they report. Great portfolio of financials, whether it's asset management, underwriting, syndication, um, trading, et cetera. And, and all these are trading at multiples um, forward next year's earnings of, of below 15 or at 15 well below the, the current market multiple. So we think they're all good long, long-term opportunities. All right, five picks from two great managers, Kim Forrest and Michael Cugino. Thank you both very much for joining us. Have a great day, Thanks, guys. Tom. Well, coming up on the show, the fight between Kohl's and activist investors is over. The details of that agreement coming up next. And before we head out to break, let's look at Coinbase shares as well. Those shares trading up just about $385 now. That's well off the session highs. By the way, up about 54%. The reference price, 250 It opened at 381 We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to the exchange. Let's check on Coinbase's trade on the exchange here. We have now seen a huge move off the size of the session. We're still up 55% from the reference price of $250 per share. But at the highs of the day, for context... This was a $429.54 stock at the lows of the day, which is kind of around where we are right now. It was $380.97, this all after a $381 opening price. Well, Kohl's has reached a deal with the group of activist investors who are pushing to seize control of the company's board in what has been a very public corporate battle. Courtney Reagan has been following that story for us and spoke with the retailer's CEO earlier. Courtney. Hi there, Dom. Yes, so there is a resolution between Kohl's and the activist group that I'm told was inked around 1 a.m. this morning. The activist group, McCallum Advisors, Ankara Holdings, Legion Partners, Asset Management, and 410 Capital own 9.3% of Kohl's, and they tell me they're pleased with the outcome. Kohl's CEO Michelle Goss told me she, too, is happy to have found common ground after what she calls, quote, a lot of constructive conversations, which adds the best candidates to an already highly functioning board. Now, two of the activists suggested five candidates will join the board, former Burlington CEO Thomas Kingsbury and Margaret Jenkins, who served on the boards of both retailers PVH Corp and City Trends with past executive roles in the restaurant space. Kingsbury sits on the board of Big Lots currently with McCallum's Aaron Goldstein. Now, the activists like the addition of former Lululemon CEO Christine Day, too. She worked with Michelle Goss previously at Starbucks. Goss tells me that Day was identified in their normal course of board cultivation, and her experience in athleisure makes her a great fit for Cole's plan to lean further into the active and wellness space. Now, Steve Bird and Frank Sicca will retire from the Cole's board. Goss says she'll continue to regularly engage with the activists as she and her CFO do with all shareholders. She added, this doesn't change anything. Kohl's has momentum and had a great strategy already in place. I think the bottom line is both sides are happy today. So, so, Courtney, I mean, you, you, I've watched a number of your interviews with Michelle Goss uh, about the, the issues that are facing Kohl's coming up. With these new board members in place, what exactly can we expect to see from Goss and the executive team at Kohl's to right the ship? 
So I think that these new board members do bring some added retail expertise. Some of the outgoing board members didn't quite have the same areas of expertise that some of the new board members do. Thomas Kingsbury had been with Burlington for a long time and did a really good job sort of transforming that business. And then Christine Day is the former CEO of Lululemon. And Kohl's does have some momentum in the active space. They added Under Armour several years ago, and that's done very well for them. They've expanded their assortment with their own private label. And so I think Christine Day adds some nice experience there as well. And so I think that that helps. But the overall strategy that the activists had suggested, a lot of it was what Kohl's was frankly already doing. And both sides had the same end goal in mind, which is to raise the share price. And so I think that you may not see a lot of big strategy changes, just a deeper expertise to execute it better. And I think that's the key. All right. Courtney Reagan with that great report there on what's happening with Kohl's and the settlement with their activist investors. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll see you later on. Well, let's get another check as we kind of go out here towards Power Lunch. Remember, for Coinbase... It is now $385 or thereabouts. The opening trade was $381 per share after pricing with a reference price of $250 per share. Remember, it's just about $100 billion valuation at this point right now. But again, the highs of the day, this stock was at one point in the last 15 minutes or so as high as $429.54. So we'll continue to watch that. I'm sure Power Lunch will have much more on Coinbase's first day of trading with NASDAQ President Nelson Griggs. That's coming up, by the way. Power Lunch will be back right after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 